0: welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, Episode 6. In this episode, we're going to cover some viewer mail and some IRC traffic, and Jim's got us a segment on the new Macintoshes.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, The new iMac, the one with Intel Core Duo inside. We'll take a look, uh, see some of the new hardware and software trinkets that come along with it. Plus, we're going to have a run at some benchmarks on the uh, emulation. Sure it's fast when it's executing the OS and all the included programs, but what about when you load up some older Apple software? George helped me out on that, so you'll see him in there.
0: Yeah, I'm not really a Macintosh guy, I'm a Windows guy, and this is probably the first time I've had my hands on a Mac since the mid-80s, I think.
2: But it'll be fun, promise. Yeah, I'm anxious to see how the
1: benchmarks work out on that. Well, we'll just have a look, are you ready? Yeah. And for number one, our new hardware trinket, the remote control. The remote control is cool because, well, it's a remote control. It's separate from the computer, and it attaches to the base magnetically, just like this. It's also cool because it leads us into number two, our first software trinket, which is what you get when you press the button on the remote control. Front row. Here you see Apple's rendition of a multimedia center as served up by the iMac. You've got music, photos, videos, DVDs, all selectable and controllable from the remote control. Want to look at photos? No problem scroll down the library hit the button and voila! this is not something that was pre-programmed the photos were simply put in the iMac the selections were made it chose the music, or I guess Apple did and the slideshow effects Uh, so we'll move on here we'll uh, take a look at iTunes is what this actually is although it looks a lot to you iPod owners I'm sure this is all very familiar because this is exactly the same kind of uh, menus and selections that you see on a modern-day iPod. You can control the volume from the remote turn it down and turn it back up just like this really works well and not only can you can control it from within front row which is what Apple calls this Selection, but you can go back to the computer and uh, still control the sound from the remote control. And so on to our next software trinket. This is a little something Apple included called Photo Booth. You may notice just above the top of the screen there's a little black square. That is an eyesight, and for those who are not Mac. Uh, affectionados or Mac uh, initiated iSight is the name that Apple gives to the camera that's developed by Apple specifically for their computers. Uh, In this case an iSight is built in it's typically an attached USB or firewire peripheral but here we are looking at a little uh, application that makes good use of the built-in eyesight camera. It's really just a software trinket called Photo Booth and uh, it's got a little red camera button on it and a couple of buttons labeled one and two effects that you can click on and you can choose from a list and here you can you can see our cameraman and uh, (laughs) his assistant, uh, my son and their we're taking a picture of them. Boy, did you see that screen turn white? That's the flash. Uh, we'll select another effect here. Uh, this is just a little fun application. And uh, it's really, uh, I expect that the programming of this was not maybe not trivial, but uh, you would not think that it would be that hard. Yet, it's uh, a lot of fun and I don't know useful yeah I think it could be uh, we'll just have to see but it's one of the neat things about the new iMac and uh, here's some of the other effects under number two so you got the little red camera button which you click then you get the three, two, one countdown, and poof, the screen goes completely white as a flash effect. Our cameraman was doing a great job of not only being patient, but getting this on screen stuff such a high quality camera shot. It's very hard to do. Okay, enough of the fluff. On to the core. Rosetta, that's the name of Apple's emulation software, built right into the operating system. Here, we're going to use FileMaker, it's a database. And we're going to see how emulation
0: stands up. Hi, I'm the King, an iMac with the older PowerPC chip. And
1: I'm the Challenger, a new iMac with Intel inside. And so here we go, off with the first benchmarks. We're going to ask FileMaker to fetch all of one particular customer's records and pull them up on screen ready here we go
0: okay working and
1: done mine's still going still going
0: okay here's what we're going to do We're gonna try both computers loading the same database at the same time. We're gonna see who finishes first. Okay, I'm done. Still
1: going. And going.
0: Jim, are you finished yet? (laughs) (laughs) Jim. You're not really hearing too much negative stuff about the new Intel Max.
1: That's, that's very true. Everybody's you know enamored with front row and all the new uh, software and hardware trinkets. Uh, Tommy really liked what? You were telling me about something. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, when you were listening to the music over the remote, it looked just like an iPod. That's right. It, it mm-hmm. does and. and cool. Uh, it is cool to be able to re- remote that thing from halfway across the room or something, but yeah, emulation is slow. It, it always has been and it always is going to be, and if you're going to get one for your boss, you better sit him down and have that talk before you put it there. Now we did have a bad deal at first. We we used the Migration Assistant to copy his profile across from his old computer and that something in that. Obviously, really hosed the computer, and we're slowing down the benchmark process. But we recouped, redid. Still slow, though. Just
0: is. Yeah. Your boss was a little disappointed, wasn't he? Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> but he was very disappointed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do you say we look at a little uh, viewer email at this point?
1: Sounds good. Let's handle some. for All
0: right, this first one comes from Stephen Brown, Jr. in Johnson City, Tennessee. He says, greetings from a fellow Hammond Computer Nut. My name is Steven, n one vlv from Johnson City, Tennessee, and I absolutely love your show.
1: Nice call.
0: Yeah. It's nice to see an IPTV show about two things that I'm passionate about, amateur radio and computers. Yeah, same here for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 30 years old and been a ham for 12 of those. The HamFest coverage was awesome in Episode 5, and I'm going to Charlotte, North Carolina next weekend uh, That
1: would have been nice wish I could have gone.
0: Yeah, that would be a good ham fest. I'd like to see some more amateur content in the show and it may convince others of the benefits of having a ham license. Good job guys and I look forward to additional releases. Well, when we started AmateurLogic.tv it wasn't really to be a ham radio show, Although we are all amateur radio operators. We thought that occasionally we would put a little ham content in the show and uh... You know, possibly some of our viewers might get interested in it and pursue the hobby. Um,
1: Of course, we'll do other tech stuff and other, not just uh, computer tech stuff, there'll be other tech articles, a lot of it dealing with radio. Might not necessarily be ham radio. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of the electronic
2: segments are, you know, anything electronic, a ham just eats that up. Yeah. They 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 both go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. so hams are not really our target audience, although they are among our target uh, demographic. Um, So we will continue to include some ham content and we're gonna try to do it kinda sneaky. We're gonna put a little bit on you at a time just to get your appetite up for it so you can go take your uh, test, get your license, get on the air with the rest of us. But I do have a little ham content since Stephen wanted something. Um, All of us here have an antenna like this and it's uh, my uh, antenna here, it's a tram Collinear antenna and uh, Tommy's got one. His is a different brand, but it's almost the same thing. Comet GP9. and you've I got, got the Diamond X500. Yeah, and all these antennas are basically the same. Uh, but when you're assembling one and getting ready to put it up, of course, you want to seal it good so that water can't possibly get into it. But there's one more thing that you can do that might help keep down some of the electrical noise on the antenna and help with uh, the life of it. And that's uh, inside, there's two metal rods that are clamped together with the crimp. We'll show you a little bit here in this video. This antenna has already been modified. On the standard model, there's a crimp connector. The radials slip into it and are crimped down. There's no sorter. You add sorter here, and this will make this antenna much stronger and also help reduce noise in it. Flux cord silver sorter. It has a lower melting temperature and it actually is a stronger bond. You do want to be sure anytime you put up a new antenna or replace an old antenna that all connections are clean, corrosion free, and everything is good and tight and bonded as best as you can make it. You also want to be sure that you uh, seal all joints and connections on the antenna so that you can keep the elements out.
2: That was a good tip. Anybody that's going to put up an antenna ought to take time and solder those cramp connectors uh, before they put it on. Yeah, they really could. I hadn't
0: thought about that, but our friend Jeff Corcoran, W5PPB, uh, told me about it. That was a real good tip. Jim, what have you got? uh... Well, we got another
1: email. This one from Joseph Nilo over at Podcaster's Confessions. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, He says, he writes to say that uh, he interviewed Steve Stanger from The Mac Attack, another good show. Awesome, And they covered a lot of ground, and somewhere along the line, we mentioned you, Amateur Logic, on uh, the podcast, so thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that's a great thanks show. Steve. <laughs>
2: thanks, Steve. Jo- thanks, uh, Joseph. Yeah, it's a great show. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. Yeah. yeah.
1: Both, the Mac Attack and Podcaster's Confessions. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Well, Tommy, you've got a little IRC traffic. Yeah, you know lin Lynn that used to do the show?
2: Those guys mm-hmm. are doing uh, Techcentric now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, when we were doing the, um, the photo tip episode, I oh, appreciate that, Jim. When we were doing the photo tip episode <laughs> on panoramas, I mentioned exposure in there a lot, and he suggested that we do a photo tip on what is exposure. Hmm. So that's what I've got coming up. I think you'll find it useful.
0: I, I think Jim and I would.
2: Enlighten us. Hi, I'm Tommy. Welcome to another episode of Photo Tips. Today we're going to cover something that's pretty confusing to a lot of people. And that's exposure. Exposure is pretty simple once you understand it. Um, it's simply the act of light hitting your digital sensor or a piece of film to create your image. It takes a certain amount of light to create a properly exposed image. That can be done either very fast to stop action, so to speak, or very slow to create you can create special effects like that. Um, anyway, enhancing your creativity in photography, it's all about understanding exposure. So let's take a look at it and see if we can't clear up some questions that people have had about it. The, there are three components to exposure. Shutter speed, f-stop, and ASA, which is the film or the sensor sensitivity. Most of your digital cameras now, you can adjust the ASA, and uh, 100 is a good default value that gives you nice, clean, crisp images. But if you're taking something, you you know, a sports image and you need faster shutter speeds, you can crank that up. And we'll go over that some more here in a few minutes. Um, You can play with the, the different settings and still get properly exposed images. So ASA 100 at 1 60th of a second and F8 aperture gives you a good exposure Well, so does ASA 200 at 1 250th of, I'm sorry, 1 125th of a second at F8. You notice the ASA doubled, well so did the, the shutter speed actually halved. These are in one stop increments. So ASA 100 is one stop slower than ASA 200. Uh, 1 60th of a second is one stop longer than 1 125th of a second. And F8 allows one stop more light in than F11. Let's take a look at a little chart that gives uh, a broader comparison of the uh, F stops and uh, shutter speeds that give a, a good exposure f1.4 at 1,000th of a second gives a good exposure Well look all the way at the bottom f32 at a half of a second does as well Why do we need to know this first of all? Let's cover what what is an f-stop? left stop is a setting that Your camera makes or you may or you tell the camera which one to use and it's the there's an aperture in your lens and it's basically just a bladed diaphragm that opens and closes and allows a certain amount of light to to hit your sensor. Well if you an f1.4 aperture f-stop allows a lot of light in, f32 allows very small amount of light. That's why it takes uh, longer shutter speed to, to create a good exposure. Well, why do we care about all this? Let's take a look at an image I took, and uh, actually several images, and I start out at a f2.8 aperture, and I work my way all the way through to f32. When you're looking at the images, note the background, and you'll see in the first image, the flower is in focus, but the background is way out of focus, and you can tell exactly what your subject matter is. Well, by the time we get to the last one, you'll see that the background is in focus, as well as the flower that I initially focused on, so it makes it difficult to tell what the subject of the photograph is. Why do we care, or how can we even control this? Let's take a look at the modes on the camera. Most of you modern cameras have all four of these. Some of them have some extra ones, like nighttime and sports mode, and I'm not gonna cover those. You can look in your manual about those, but the general ones are program mode, and that's where your camera picks your shutter and your aperture or your f-stop for you. This is generally, this turns your nice expensive digital SLR if you're using it into a basically small point-and-shoot camera. Um, You lose all of your creativity the camera is going to pick the shutter and aperture for you and you have no choice over what is in focus in your depth of field and so forth aperture priority this is the one i use most of the time i set the aperture the f-stop value on my camera and the camera will pick um, a shutter speed for me to allow a proper exposure now sometimes you may have to adjust the ASA value on your camera that we saw earlier to allow, you know, good enough values to, to get a good exposure. Check the light meter in your camera as you're doing these and you'll see that you have good exposure. That should be in the manual with your camera and we'll also cover that in greater depth in a in a future episode. Shutter priority is just the opposite of aperture priority. That's where you set a shutter speed, the camera picks the aperture. Manual mode is the hardcore stuff. You you set the shutter and the aperture, and this is where you can be the most creative. You need to learn how to read the light meter before you can use this effectively. It's not for the faint of heart, but if you learn this, it'll make you a 10 times better photographer than relying on the camera to do the work for you. Um, What are the advantages of each? Program mode is simple to use. Aperture priority is good for portraits or macro because you can choose the depth of field. Shutter priority is good for sports. And manual is, like we said before, that's the hardcore stuff. check it out and play with it and uh, you'll be a much better photographer if you choose that route. Well hopefully that cleared up some questions for you, um, put, take your camera off pro, uh, program mode, put it on aperture or shutter priority or if you're real brave put it on manual mode and learn to read your light meter and have a lot of fun. Um, if you have any questions email me at tmartin at amateurlogic.tv and I'll do my best to answer them for you. Also, if you have anything that you would like to see covered on Photo Tips in the future episode, email me at the same address, Martin at amateurlogic.tv and I'll do my best to get it covered for you in an upcoming episode.
0: I'm glad he asked that question, Tommy, because I've been wanting to know the answer to that myself.
2: Yeah, those tips should work for your video camera as well, since you have separate aperture and shutter speed controls on it. Cool. Um, Anyway, it's a real confusing topic for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Y'all be sure and check out Will and guys over at Techcentric. They have a new show coming out.
1: Uh, should be coming out any day now.
0: Yeah, it should be. We're, we're looking forward to it.
1: Anxious to see how it looks. I know they will do a good job.
0: Okay, I've got a little more viewer email here. This one comes from Darren. The subject is Cantenna. I'm having a little trouble understanding exactly what you did with the cable and wire mounting and the BNC connector. Could you please explain further? does the shield have to go through the hole and sort of there to the end or can it sort to the little ground lead that's coming off of the B and C connector? Well Darren if you uh, look here you'll see where I pulled the wire through the little hole and soldered it and the reason I did that was to keep the impedance of uh, the antenna circuit as close to normal as possible if I had exposed more of that center lead to run up to the element then it possibly could have changed the impedance there, and I wanted to keep it as close to standard as possible. Therefore, the shield was right at the bottom of the antenna element itself, and that's where I soldered it. Now, it could possibly work just as well if you soldered it down on the bottom of the B and C connector. I didn't try that, so don't really know. But if you decide to build one, let us know. We'd, we'd be interested.
1: And as far as that goes, Anyone, if you'd like to write in with a future episode request, something that we cover, whatever, here's the email address. And so now, one of my favorite subjects, segments, topics, from the bench. We got one this episode, George?
0: We certainly do. As a matter of fact, I've got an email here. This one comes from someone named Jim. Some friends and I are doing an IPTV show, and we're using the Radio Shack lavalier microphones.
1: Oh. Mm. Just,
0: just like these Quite right a coincidence. Here. Yeah. Now, we're using uh, Nady wireless microphone packs, which have phantom power. Another coincidence. is, isn't, isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> and... <laughs> Also, our cameras have phantom power. However, when we plug the microphones into the camera or the wireless pack, they won't operate without batteries. What Ah. gives?
2: Uh Aha. You know, I've recently had that same problem
0: myself. Very recently. I wonder where this... It doesn't say where this gym is from. (laughs) Could be closer than you know. Yeah. (laughs) How do you fix that, I wonder? Yeah. Okay, any of you IPTV <laughs> broadcasters out there, if you're using this little Shack lavalier microphone, you'll want to watch this tip. And if you're not using this little Shack lavalier microphone, maybe you should. For 25 bucks, <laughs> I mean, you just can't beat it. The, the quality is outstanding for that price. Anyway, here's a tip on how to hot rod it. It'll make it uh, have quite a bit more output than before be a little bit uh, less likely to distort and you won't have to put a battery in it anymore. You can power it right from your wireless mic pack or from your camera.
1: And it'll make coffee in the mornings too. (laughs) Great.
0: One of the more popular microphone types these days is a condenser microphone. These microphones have excellent sound for their small size and price so you find them in most every device that has an internal microphone. External condenser microphones are very popular too for the same reasons. Condenser microphones require power to operate. The two types of power usually available are self-power using an internal battery or external phantom power that is supplied by the device the microphones connected to. Some devices, like this professional mixer, have a switch to control phantom power. We want to focus on consumer equipment like computer and camcorders that used unbalanced cables. There are three basic connector arrangements that you're likely to find that use a mini plug: a two-conductor mini plug with signal and voltage on a single conductor; a three-conductor mini plug with signal on the tip and voltage on the ring; and a three-conductor mini plug wired for stereo microphones. These have signal and voltage on the tip for one channel and signal and voltage on the ring for the other channel. For AmateurLogic.TV, we use some inexpensive Nady UHF wireless microphone packs with Shack lavalier microphones. The microphones require a 1.5 volt button cell battery. Now the wireless packs and the lavaliers were working good, but the audio level was a bit low. Even with the transmitter pack's gain turned all the way up, a slight hiss could be heard. Most of the uh, low voltage condenser microphones will perform better when the voltage is increased. I tested the Nady pack and found that there was 9 volts on the microphone connector just waiting to power a condenser microphone. So we can eliminate the button cell battery, improve the signal to noise ratio, and improve the dynamic range by switching to phantom power. The problem is that the Radio Shack lavalier microphone wasn't built for phantom power. However, this is pretty easy to overcome. First thing we'll do is remove the screw. And then we'll gently pry out the PC board, being careful not to break the wires. Now, this is the Radio Shack Model 333013 microphone. And at $24.99, um, can't hardly go wrong with it course this one is no longer under warranty and this is a switch that controls the voltage going to the microphone this cable is the output of the microphone and goes to your equipment this other wire goes to the microphone element now you notice below the switch on the left hand side there's a small resistor This resistor is in series with the battery. There's a capacitor to the right hand side that's in series with the output wire of the microphone. This blocks the DC voltage from the battery from reaching your equipment. Battery voltage flows through the resistor through the switch to the microphone element. What we want to do is bypass the capacitor so that the phantom voltage available from our equipment is able to flow through the microphone cable to the microphone element. Here's a schematic of the microphone. Now there only needs to be a couple modifications made to allow phantom power. Number one is we need to cut the trace going from one side of the switch to ground. Then we need to install a jumper from that side of the switch across the blocking capacitor. First we'll remove a little bit of the solder Uh, to make the trace a little bit easier to cut. Now we'll cut the trace using an exacto knife. This is where I cut the switch trace, right between these two posts. Now we want to run a jumper from this side of the capacitor to this post of the switch we'll tin a little piece of wire using some magic reversing smoke solder now we'll tin the two little spots on the pc board where we plan to install a jumper and we'll put our jumper across And you can see where we've installed the jumper from the switch post across the capacitor. Now whenever the switch is flipped to the off position on this microphone, phantom power will be supplied to the element. Once again, remember to leave the microphone in the off position for phantom power, or the on position for battery power. And that's all there is to it. Pretty easy little modification that anyone who's got one of these microphones
1: and a soldering iron
0: would want to make. And I hope that uh, Jim watches this episode.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good chance he will. (laughs) Any more viewer mail, Tommy? Yeah, we got one more. We got one from Tim in Alabama. I've been enjoying your video cast ever since a friend at work brought your Active Cantana episodes for me to check out. Really interesting. The other segments have been most informative as well. Another possibly interesting topic that could be dealt with in a future show, converting that old box in the corner into a web server. Thanks again. Well, Tim, it just so happens I don't have an old box in the corner of my office. It's- not one that everyone's got. It's a dual CPU 64-bit Sun server, but that is actually going to be coming up in a very uh, near
1: very near episode. future episode. Um, so you're going to do something with that old E250, huh? Yeah. We're going to blow the dust off of it.
2: <laughs> it's probably going to dim the lights in my office when we power it up, but we're going <laughs> to load that baby up and make a web server out of it. and. While everybody doesn't have a sun server sitting around at their house, the same principles will go for just any any box that you've got. Actually be easier, probably. Yeah.
0: <laughs> It'll be nice to see that thing do something besides collect dust. Yeah,
2: well, it makes a good uh, coffee table. Yeah,
0: paperweight.
1: <clears throat> Electricity user.
0: We got a new set this month. Georgia. Hopefully, we'll get another at least six episodes out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, that's it for episode six. It doesn't seem like we've been doing this for half a year yet, but we have.
1: Boy, time flies when you're, when you're being kicked fun. in the rear to get that deadline met every month. <laughs> Thanks, George. <laughs> well, well, glad to oblige. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, until next time.
0: Let's see what you got, Jim. (laughs) That didn't sound good.